Well, Psalm 33 is where we're at today, uh, titled, The Sovereignty of the Lord in the Creation and History. The Sovereignty of the Lord in Creation and History. And we are going to get right into the text and let it work in our hearts right now, but I'm going to just give you the first outline point. First of all, we have joyfully praising God with instruments because of the purposes of righteousness, truth, justice, and goodness. And so let's read this, uh, this text. Verse 1 starts out, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous! Exclamation point. I don't know if I'm supposed to yell there or what. Just really emphasize. Rejoice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. For praise from the upright is beautiful. So we have this rejoicing called to us today, shouting for joy, calling loudly. The language speaks of even at times something that's shrill and penetrating and and jarring to the people around us. When you read the scripture, there's so many times where the people are praising God that the non-believers around are struck and moved uh, to fearing God. Because of this shout of joy and exulting the Lord. Praise the Lord, rejoice the Lord. And then our, the verse continues, for praise from the upright is beautiful. These times of giving glory to God and giving honor to God. And the text seems to imply that this is publicly praising, publicly giving glory, publicly giving honor And having it come from that heart that is upright or righteous, as verse 1 has told us, it's a beautiful thing. Just as the exhortation went out during worship, how do we often approach these times of praise, worship, exaltation? When you come in on a Sunday or a Wednesday or when you go to your core group, is it often dull Is it often merely external? Are there selfish motives? What am I going to get out of this time of music or this time of worship or this time of prayer, this time of preaching? Is it it selfish? Is it awkward? Is it times where you're ashamed what people are thinking of you or times where you're embarrassed? And it's in those times where you realize who your eyes are on, that your eyes are on man or your eyes are on self your eyes are not in the one to whom praise is due those who are upright giving praise speaks of people whose hearts are straight before the lord people whose hearts are level they're level and they're straight the opposite of that is crooked hearts the opposite of that is perverse hearts. Anything besides just a heart of uprightness and righteousness before the Lord is perversity and it's crookedness. But when praise comes from those upright level straight hearts, it's lovely, it's fitting, it's beautiful. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, Paul charges the Romans. He begs them, he beseeches them By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And you'll notice there in that verse, there's the word therefore, which points us to everything Paul had been talking about before, that in and apart from Jesus Christ, we are sinners destined for judgment. And our best works, in and on my own effort, on my best day, it will not measure up to the beauty and the pure standard of God. I, Rory Rogers, and if you would be honest, you can insert your name. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, both physically and spiritually. Eternal death, ultimately. But the good news that Paul talks about in Romans is, but God. But God has come and he has given his son Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life and then dead, died a sacrificial death in place of us, a substitutionary death. And his blood provides that atonement that I was praying about during worship, that, that removal of sin, that washing away of our sin. And Paul in the book of Romans is talking about how God has pursued us and how God has sovereignly been working to save mankind. And chapter 11 ends with, oh, the depths and riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. When it comes to his salvational ways, oh, how deep they are. Oh, how wise he is in his plan of salvation. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has given to God that God would owe him and have to pay him back? And that's how this, that section, chapters 1 through 11, ends there. It's just, just God's salvation ways. Just boggling Paul, you know, just so deep in Paul's mind. And he just has to praise God for his ways of salvation. And then he goes into chapter 12. And he says, knowing all of that, knowing that we were depraved individuals, whether you were a, a pagan, you know, born in, uh, you know, the, the Babylonian Empire or, or even the American Empire or whether you were, you know, born like a good little Jewish boy in Israel and yet you have the stain and the kernel of sin in your heart and you are trusting in your own self-righteous, moralistic, legal righteousness, either way, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But what we couldn't do in the flesh, God has done by sending his son to do it in the flesh. And that if anyone would believe on him, man, they would have that perfect standard put upon them. They would have that perfect record put upon them because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. All that being said, Romans 12, man, we should be presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable before God. And then Romans 12, 1 ends with this phrase, which is your reasonable service. And after looking at God's plan of salvation and sending his son to die for sinners, man, seeing what God has done and sovereignly working throughout history to save his people, man, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, all of that being said, man, it is a reasonable thing for people who name the name of Jesus, for people who've been born again to give their entire lives as living sacrifices. 
One version says this is your reasonable act of worship. God's not asking too much of us for for us to give our whole bodies as sacrifices to him. That's not too much for him to ask. You know, when you study the sacrificial system, these burnt offerings and these sacrifices, it was the whole of the animal, it was the whole of the offering that was placed upon the altar and it was completely consumed. And so often we want to, you know, kind of get a little bit of us off of the altar and say, all of this is for you, Jesus, but this little bit, this is for me. Where I go, that's my choice, Lord. And so I'm going to keep that for myself. What I watch, that's my choice. I'm going to, you know, who I'm with and whatever, you know, I'm going to do some things my own way. And then, but you know, mostly, mostly I'm going to be yours, God. And what Romans is saying, man, look at what God has done for you. It is a reasonable request that you give him everything that you have. There's an old song from a band, Delirious, when I was in high school. It's a great worship band. And one of their songs said, all you want is all I have. That's it. All he wants is all of you. And that's a reasonable thing for him to ask. And that's a reasonable thing for you to give in light of what he's done for you. It's a beautiful thing. Our text says it is a fitting thing. The original language in the psalm says praise from the upright is fitting. It's a reasonable thing for Paul to say to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's a whole lot of rejoicing that Paul is calling the people of God to. And it's a reasonable thing. Look at what he has done, and we will have no problems just letting the fountain of our heart be bubbling up to him, rejoicing and praising him. Well, our psalm continues in verse 2. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody or sing to him with an instrument of ten strings. We we know the the song from Matt Redman, and, and it's taken from Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And when you study creation, which we will in a little bit here in our psalm, man, everything has been created for the glory and praise of God. So let everything have breath. And in the days of Jesus, when the self-righteous religious people were trying to get the followers of Jesus to just be quiet and quit singing Hosanna, quit saying blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Teacher, can't you cause your followers to just be quiet? They're causing an uproar in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, man, if they don't praise me, then the rocks are going to have to cry out. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. And if they don't, then the rocks that don't have breath, they're going to have to praise the Lord. He is worthy of such glory and honor and praise. He is worthy of us praising the Lord with the harp and, man, finding instruments and things to praise the Lord. And some of you, you've given up. It's not that hard to learn some simple strums on the guitar. It's really elementary. You know, pick up an elementary school recorder or something or get an old school mouth harp. You know, Man, just let just your body, let your soul, let your heart praise God. Pick up the harp. It's a rare instrument that really should make a comeback. 
Pick up a 10-string guitar. Pick up the guitar. Pick up a, you know, don't pick up a piano. You'll hurt yourself. But, man, I'd encourage you, don't give up. Find ways to praise the Lord with instruments, with your voices, as we're going to see. Verse 3, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. And man, uh, just been so neat lately. Uh, Russell's been into the songwriting business uh, ever since he found my sister's keyboard. And he wrote a song about monsters. It's pretty good, actually. It really sticks in your head. And uh, driving down the street the other day, and then he's making up this song that had the same melody as the Monsters song, but that doesn't matter. Uh, and he's just singing everything that he can think of that he's learned from, you know, his discipleship from his parents and his Sunday school teachers and his VBSs. And man, he is throwing out deep doctrine in these songs that he's singing and writing. And, you know, as a dad just driving along, man, just encouraging that. That is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard, son. Just keep worshiping the Lord. Keep worshiping the Lord. And uh, how interesting to hear the children in our church are writing songs and they're singing songs of praise to the Lord. The children in our church, that is amazing. That is third John. I have no greater joy than to know that my children practice the truth and walk in the truth. Man, that is, doesn't you as a parent, doesn't your heart overflow hearing your kids praise and just uh, you know, seeing um, Hunter Green, uh, he will get a big duffel bag and place it in the kitchen and stand up on the duffel bag and preach to his family. You know, and he'll say, I'm Pastor Rory, you know, and preach, and he's preaching, and we got kids singing, and kids just zealous for the Lord. And man, we give God glory in this church for that. That our children, we're not just babysitting them back there, we're making disciples. In fact, I'm, I got permission from uh, the parents, Matt and Lakin, but on Facebook this week, uh, little Brooklyn wrote a song for Jesus. And I just thought, man, that'd be so fitting to just hear uh, the, the, this beautiful little girl singing to the Lord a new song. She's a songwriter. She just wrote it. And so we're just going to watch that real quick. To <laughs> it's like she read ahead in the psalm and you know we're even going to read about the heart of our god in this psalm today and the mighty god and the heart of our god is special i mean praise god you know that if the children would sing a new song to the lord it doesn't take much you know if you're a christian Sing a new song to the Lord. You know, it doesn't have to be up here like, hey, we're going to give you a microphone. And, you know, but as you're driving in the car, just let those lungs just bellow out to the Lord. Just sing to the Lord. It's part of his design of creation um, to, to uh, sing. The, the word sing, I thought it was kind of funny, but it has a root word meaning to hoot. You know? So if you're worried about, well, I'm really wondering how I'm going to sound, just, hey, just hoot, okay? I don't even know what, you know. Uh, but, man, let the Spirit of the Lord move you to action in praising God. Give a shout of joy, it says. Uh, it speaks of the blast of a war cry. And, and, of course, we would turn that to acclaim and making famous the Lord. Shouting the, to the Lord, blasting out praise to the Lord. And you know, it does say there that it, it, 
kind of spurs us on to intentionality in our worship, that this is to be skillfully, play skillfully with a shout of joy. That means it should be good and agreeable, you know. Uh, and so practicing, putting effort into growing. It's been just so neat to see people in our body just practicing and growing, to see Adam who, you know, what was it, a year ago, um, never touched the piano, you know, and he's just really intentionally seeing a need in the body and he's just growing uh, to, to, to be useful in leading our church in praise and worship, to see Kristen and Johnny um, worshiping the Lord and growing in that gifting. And, and uh, some of you, it's just it's not a gifting. And some of you, the Lord would say, hey, I want you to start developing that and practicing so that it could be skillful. In fact, Johnny, who you know, leads worship the majority of the time here, he was one of my high school leaders in uh, Corvallis when I was a youth pastor. And he could play a few you know, famous licks on the guitar. But other than that, not much. And I said, dude, we need worship leaders in the youth group. You, you're all we got. You know, got, man, start practicing and start getting on it. And probably two weeks later, he began regularly leading worship in the youth group and growing and growing and growing. And, and now he, here he is. He moved to Prineville, and he is very useful with that gift. It's, it's a gift that's very needed. So you might ask the Lord for gifting where gifting is needed, for talent where talent is needed, uh, that that could be said a, a skillful use of, of uh, the instrument and of the voice. And uh, with all of this, you know, the question might be asked, why? Why? Why sing? Why write new songs? Why play instruments and make a hoot, for instance? Well, the psalm tells us in verse 4, For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. So why sing? Why write new songs? Why, why make, what's all the hubbub, bub, you know? Uh, because the word of the Lord. Because the Lord, because of his word, because of his actions, it, 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 com- it is a whole encompassing of this word of the Lord. But who he is, what he said, what he's done, the happenings that he's about, they are right. There's a whole lot wrong in this world. But there is one who is right. And man, when you look at the difference, man, it is worth stellar praise, major rejoicing, because he is right and he is truth. All the work that he does is done in truth. Verse 5, this continues. Why should we praise? Why should we worship? Why should we sing, even if it's alone in our car? And, And why should we make effort to rejoice and praise God? Because he loves righteousness and justice. And the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. He not only does righteousness and does justice, but he loves it. He loves it. That's at the, the, the deep kernel of why he's doing it. Because he is that. He is righteous. It's an attribute of him. He is just, and he loves those things, and he does those things, and he endeavors to do those things. You think of all that's happening in the world, and all that has happened, and how wicked and evil, perverse, crooked, we talk about that. Man, even what's happening now, in this world, in this country, in this town, in Syria, in Europe right now, man, the list goes on. 
And there is one, the creator of the world, who loves righteousness, loves justice. And part of who he is, is he has poured out his goodness to this earth. And so because of all that, we had our first outline point of this text, that there's to be joyful praise to God with instruments because of him. Because of his righteousness, his truth, his justice. And then we move on in the text where we see all of that is seen in his sovereign rule in the act of creation. Look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So not only is the word of the Lord right and just, But by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Just mere speaking caused all of this and so much more to come about, to come into existence and in such beauty and in such splendor. It takes man weeks and months and years to do some of the most simple projects. And we take such pride in our accomplishments We boast when Siri sends out a text message because I told her to. She did a speech to text and she texted somebody and it was like, did you see that? Did you see what I just did? I told them I'm going to be late. I told her to tell them I'm going to be late and she did it. And the Lord is like, that is pretty impressive. That whole speech to text thing, that whole speech to action that you figured out, pretty good, pretty good. But look what I've done. By my word, the heavens were made and the host that inhabits the heavens. Look at Genesis 1-3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6 of Genesis 1. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And it was so. Verse 9 tells us that God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And after he said it, I like these closing phrases, and it was so. Genesis 1.11, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, herb that yields seed, the fruit and tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. Genesis 1.14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give lights on the earth. And it was so. Genesis 1.20, God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created sea creatures and every living thing that moves in which waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.24, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. And it was so. Then Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make them in our image according to our likeness. He creates mankind. And verse 27 says, so God created them. He said it and he did it. And Genesis 1.31 concludes, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed it was very 
good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. He said it, it was so, and all of it took six days. It took my God six days to form everything in the universe. And it was not done by human engineering or by human sweat or machinery, but by the words that were coming out of his mouth. The breath of the Lord did it. And it's interesting that the word breath can also be translated the spirit. The spirit of the Lord did that. And now in the beginning of the creation account, you see that as the Lord began to create, we see that the Spirit of God was moving and hovering over the waters. And so we see the Holy Spirit of the Godhead had a creation role. And we see that the Son of God, the third person of the Trinity, or the second person of the Trinity, one of the people of the Trinity, also had a part in creation. In fact, one of his names is the Word. And so as the psalmist says, by the Word of God, the heavens were made. We see in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And verse 14 of John 1 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is much more than a good man or even a prophet. But that he is the God man. Fully God, fully man. He existed before the world was ever made. In fact, he made the world. And he is called the word of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Don't you know that is the reason why Jesus was betrayed and the reason why he was killed? Because he, being a man in the words of the Jews, claimed for himself deity, claimed to be God. And Colossians would tell us in Colossians 1.16, by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him, Not only did he create it, there was a purpose behind it. These things were created for him. These things were created for his glory. 
for his glory, for his fame, for his name, for his renown. Jesus Christ, the creator, is sovereign God who in his creation deserves and is worthy of praise and honor and glory. Hebrews 1-2 says, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. And Hebrews chapters 1 and 2 are all about Jesus is God, so don't run away from him. Jesus is better than the angels. He's not an angel. He's better than the angels because he created the angels, Hebrews chapter 1 says. And Jesus is better than the angels in Hebrews chapter 2 because not only did he create the angels, but he became a man and he lived the life of a man so that he can sympathize with us, so that he can pray for us, so that he can be a merciful high priest. And he can run and he can be our help and our aid. No other angel has ever done that or been able to do that. Jesus is better than the angels because he created the angels and because he took on flesh and dwelt among us, born to die so that we might live. And Ephesians 3 also says, the very last part of the verse there. God created all things through Jesus Christ. That's why God would, that's why Jesus would say to the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. And so they went to kill him. They picked up stones to kill him. In all of this, we remember the previous verse. That says, verse 4 of our psalm, The word of the Lord is right, and his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. And as we saw, Jesus is the word. Today, more than anything, I want to give you Jesus. I want to show you Jesus. Jesus the Son of God, the God-man, the second person of the Trinity, the creator of the world, he, the word of God, is right. He's right in that he's correct. So repent of your rebellion against him and turn and follow him because he is right. He's right. But not only is he right, he's righteous. He's righteous. He is full of innocence. He is full of purity. He is flawless. And he loves you so much that he has agreed to have his righteousness taken and placed upon you. If you would believe in him like a little kid, just with simple faith, trusting him, his righteousness would be put on you. And the way this goes is that all of your sin and rebellion and immorality would be lifted off of your shoulders and put on Jesus. 
We looked at this last week. It's the theology of imputation. Whatever was in my account, which was sin and nothing good, is put into Jesus' account there at the cross. And whatever was in Jesus' account was only good, was placed in me. By God's grace and by his mercy, he is right. And he is truth. And he loves justice. And he will be just when he judges the living and the dead. Verse 7 says that in this creation, God in, in Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap and he lays up the deep in storehouses. We just read all that in that creation account. In verse 8, let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done and he commanded and it stood fast. So in all of this, not only is there to be joy and hooting and shouts of praise from the powerful voice of the righteous. But everybody should fear him. God is worthy of fear. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Is awe something that marks your view of God? Not like when you see a cute little kitten and you go, oh. But rather, awesome. Awesome. There is something about this one that is like no other and none other. Whoa. There was a pastor in Corvallis, Larry Lyon. He was the missions pastor, and I worked with him for quite a while. And, and he would always say, uh, for instance, he'd come back from Brazil, and I'd go, did you have an awesome time? And he goes, man, I just don't throw that word around a lot. <laughs> awesome. You know, this is an 80s surfer dude territory, you know. He's like, because, and I was like, whoa, explain. He just said, man, because I, I, I just want to use that word to talk about the Lord and how I stand in awe of him. And then I'd catch him saying awesome. And I'd be like, ah, you did it. <laughs> you said awesome. He is awesome. Let all who inhabit the world stand in awe. Drop the jaw, stand with mouth wide open. And we see that awe should be struck in creation because of the next few verses here. Beginning at verse 10, we see his sovereign rule over all the nations. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. You know, the rulers of the nations, they plan and they plot and they strive and they scheme. But they are nothing compared to his infinite power and omnipotence. Verse 11 goes on to say, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And so while we have that the counsel of the nations comes to nothing... We have that the counsel of the Lord comes to everything. And it stands forever. 
Proverbs tells us that there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. And I love this phrase here. They're the plans of his heart. They're the plans of his heart. This isn't like, you know, he did something and, you know, oh, man, that really backfired. And, ooh, bad idea. Shouldn't have done Okay, we're going to try this. And is there a plan C in any of this? You know, and God is just like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. No, God in his sovereignty, he has the plans and they are that of his heart. And they will stand to all generation. What was it? The heart of the Lord is mighty, Brooklyn was singing. You know, the heart of the Lord, the plans of the Lord are in his heart. And these plans of his heart, and if you have a pen, will you underline this? Uh, underline this because this is just the heartbeat of our church. They are to all generations. To all generations. Just as when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, and he preached to the Jews and they were convicted of their sin and they were convicted of God's righteousness and they were convicted of having taken the Messiah and killed him. They were guilty of the blood of God, Peter preached. And it says that the people hearing, they trembled and they said, whoa, what must we do? What do we do? We just killed God. And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or the remissions of sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord would call. One day in Prineville, Oregon, People will come and partake of this promise because the plans of his heart to glorify God through the death of the Son in redeeming the people is to all generations. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. This is speaking of Israel paramountly the nation that God has chosen and by his grace his love and mercy has gone to the Gentiles as well but it's also a good word for us as well that we be praying for our nation who in the founding fathers had men of God men who feared God not every man there were many pagans there were the Benjamin Franklin pagan there were the Thomas Jefferson's deist, changing the Bible to fit his own inklings. But there were also mighty men of God. And up through the 1800s, even the Supreme Court justices would write that this is a country that believes in God. And of course, we see that deteriorating. And so we pray for our nation and we pray for our president. And we desire to be part of this. But you know, ultimately, we are not going to find a nation whose God is the Lord until Jesus returns. And so we say, even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We see in our next section of this 
chapter, God's sovereign rule over individual men. He's gone from ruling over the nations to individual men. Verse 13, the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. In another psalm, David would say, When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers and the moon and the stars that you've ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. Oh Lord, all of this incredible creation that you have made with the word of your mouth, with the breath of your mouth, all of this, the galaxies and the galaxies upon galaxies and Oh man, it's so much. Who am I that you would be mindful of me? Or that you would even visit me and die for me and know me by name? From the place of his dwelling, he looks upon the inhabitants of the earth. And this last year, we have really felt that God has heard our cries to him. And by his grace, we just there have been so many things that have happened in our church this last year that could only be God that I just feel like what was said there is so true. Like God has heard our cries from his dwelling place and he's reached down and he's setting things in order in our church. And it has been so humbling and so exciting that God in heaven has heard the cries and the longings and the fastings and the praying. And ultimately, he's been given us more and more of him. Verse 15, he fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. He's aware of what's happening on the individual man-woman life scale. In fact, 2 Chronicles would tell us that the eye of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Job tells us his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all of his steps. He's aware, you guys. He's aware of you. He's aware that if in your heart there's a heart of rebellion against him, stubbornness against him, or whether there's a heart of obedience in response to his goodness. Psalm 14 says that the Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there's anyone who understands, who seeks God. And he says, they've all turned aside. They've together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And so God in his glory and his splendor in the heavens, he's looking upon the children of men. Is there anyone who just in and of themselves is self-righteous? Nope, nobody and then just in case you start to say, well, what, wait a minute here. What about Mother Teresa? What about, you know, and, and then we're interrupted by the psalmist. He says, no, not one, not Rory, not anybody is inherently self-righteous with a heart to seek after Yahweh. Jeremiah tells us that because of this, God will give to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. That one day, Jesus is going to come forth and he's going to reward those who've done good. He's going to take them to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. 
Because the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 tells us. And the gift of God is eternal life. And that, my friends, is the good news to it all. My heart isn't to sit up here with a giant sledgehammer and just crush you. I hope you know how wicked you are. I hope you know how wicked you are. But I also hope you know how loved you are in Christ Jesus. More wicked than you could ever imagine, but more loved than you could ever even dare to dream. The wages of sin, it is death. You will die here and you will die there for all eternity. But the gift, oh, the gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Moving along, the psalmist tells us that an individual man must trust in this sovereign creator God. Verse 16 says, No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. To echo it, Psalm 20 says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And maybe you're sitting there today and you hear me telling you from the Bible that God has looked down and he has searched the hearts of men and he has found that nobody is good. That everybody has sinned. That everyone has fallen short of the glory of God. And now the little attorney of Satan in your head is trying to make you look and see, well here you can justify yourself this way, you can justify yourself that way. That is the devil. You can trust in that you are a boy scout or a Girl Scout, you could trust in that you're an American and you got a dollar bill in your pocket that says, in God I trust. You can trust in your pedigree. You can trust in your good looks. You could trust in your physical strength. You could trust in and how many old ladies you've helped walk across the street in your life. You could try to trust in your wealth or your suave. But let me tell you this. You will fail. You will lose. And as you're there standing before God on that day, Romans gives the picture of you're going to be sitting there yapping and giving your resume about how good you are. And Romans says that your mouth will be stopped and you will be found to be a liar. That's what the Bible says. And I would encourage you, instead of trying to like build up your resume of your goodness, the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that just come to the table and say, I got nothing, Lord. The pockets are empty. I got no goodness to bring to the table. But I see that you've brought all the goodness. And so I come before you bankrupt. And I receive your gift of riches into my account. Paul could have been tempted to bring his pedigree, his heritage, and all of his religious self-righteousness to the table. And he says, all the things that were gained to me, I've counted them as loss for Christ. I count all things as loss for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And just before he said that, he went through a whole list of why he would have all the reasons why he should be led into heaven. And he's like the best of the best examples. But then he goes on to say, I lose all of that. And I count them as rubbish. And the language is very severe in the original Greek. It's more severe than dung, let me put it that way. I count it as rubbish, 
all of my pedigree, all of my heritage, all of my self-righteousness, all the good things that I've done, grew up in Israel, was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was so zealous for the law. I was a Pharisee. I was so zealous for God that I was persecuting the sect of Christians and I was killing them because I thought they were enemies of God. Man, I have got the resume. But I've given it all up as dung so that I can just have Jesus and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. <clears throat> the righteousness that is through, uh, which is from God by faith. And I hope today that whether I know you very well or I know you very little, that you would come here today and you would have had a presentation to you of the right God. The just God. The God whose heart is those things. And who one day we will see the, the final just of his plan of the whole earth being filled with his goodness. And we will see it in fullness. And that you would come to him and receive that rightness. And come to him in his justice and be honest before that judge. And receive pardon for sin. And be justified by him. To those who would do that, we have verse 18. We'll just read verses 18 through 22. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. And on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. If you would just come to him in reverence for him, in fear for him, in humility of heart and receive his goodness into your life, his eye will be on you and he will pour out his mercy on you and deliver you from death. And here's our response to it all. And we'll have Kristen and Adam come on up. Our response is that our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. The psalm starts with rejoicing. And the psalm ends with rejoicing. And we started this morning with rejoicing and we're going to end with rejoicing. All of those who have trusted in the Lord, all of those who have waited on the Lord, all of those who have received from the Lord his mercy, his hope, who've trusted in his name, we're going to let the Spirit of God move us to rejoicing. So why don't we stand today Some may trust in horses and some may trust in chariots. Some may trust in the size of their army or the number of people that agree with them. And maybe here today you're like so many people that you're trusting and you're hoping that, man, by the end of your life, I just hope that I've done more good than I've done bad. 
And that I would stand before God and he would say, well, you know, you really have done more good than bad, so come on in. But James tells us that if we kept the whole law and stumbled at one little point, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. Jesus brings it down deeply. For the heart that would say, well, I've never murdered anybody, so at least I'm not a murderer. Jesus says, if you have ever been angry with your brother in your heart or hated him, it's the same as murder. That's the root sin of murder. You might as well have murdered him. Well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus says, hey, if you have ever looked at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you've already committed adultery. It's the same kernel, the same root sin is there. We have been guilty of murder. We've been guilty of adultery. We are cheaters. We are liars telling half-truths and white lies. We stand before the righteous judge not having observed the Lord's day, having put hope in people, places, and things rather than trusting in God. We are idolaters. We have coveted men's wives, men's homes, men's houses, men's possessions. And in our heart, we are covetous. And we are doomed for judgment. And the wrath of God burns against sin. But the good news is, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Would you be saved today? Would you be saved? This sixth day of September, would this be the day where your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Where on the day of judgment, anyone whose name is found written in the Lamb's book of life is spared from the eternal torment of hell and graciously given the hope of heaven, dwelling with God for all eternity. All you need to do today is come to him and respond to him. He's calling you, he's beckoning you, and just come like a little child. Jesus says, if you won't receive these things like a little child, then you've got no place in my kingdom. That takes humility. And I plead with you today, be reconciled to God. Be saved today. Put your trust in him. Receive his righteousness. Let it be put into your account. And by faith and trust today, let God take all of your iniquity and all of your sin and all of your rebellion and all of your trespasses and all of your transgression and let him lift it off of your shoulders and he will bear it as he bore it at the cross. If that's you and right now where you're at, you've done that, you've received that. The spirit of God has come into your life and into your heart, the Bible says. And he has taken out a heart of stone that could not beat and could not know God. And he has replaced it with a heart of flesh 
that now is soft and now can beat and now can have life and now can know God and you can read the Bible and understand it and you'll have a desire to follow God and to be with his people right now where you're at. Just let God do that work where you'll be born again, regenerated, given a new life. As Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And we can rejoice in that today. Let all of those who have this hope rejoice. Let's rejoice in that today as we close in song.